It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East. It's our weekly look at the teams, coaches, players, and stories from the schools inside the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook, once again with Providence Journal beat writer, Basketball Times contributor, and author Kevin McNamara, and we know we have a leader in the clubhouse, Kevin, but maybe there's a lurker on the back nine somewhere ready to kind of strike with six holes or six games to play, perhaps. It's a bit surprising to some, though, that Seton Hall had largely maneuvered their way in and around the league, I think, with just one loss before Wednesday of this week, and then Creighton's can't-miss offense kicked into another gear to hand the Pirates' loss number two. Well, I think uh, everyone's realized now that Seton Hall can be beaten because it's happened twice. Yep. And, uh, you know, Creighton is a really special team. It's interesting. Only a week, 10 days ago, they go to Providence and struggle to get to 60 points. Right. And then last night against, you know, a top 10 team, we've talked about uh, Seton Hall's defense all year long. They have 87 points. John, four guys with 18 and uh, Mitch Ballack, zero. And they still get 87. Just shows when they get going, they're really, they're the toughest team in the league to defend just because they have so many different weapons. Well, conference play, of course, is now into Week 7. Seton Hall remains at the top of the standings. Two-game lead now over both Creighton and Villanova. Wildcats had suffered, you'll recall, we talked about this last week, three straight defeats before holding off Marquette 72-71 to on Wednesday. Now, could one of these teams, Creighton, Villanova, maybe somebody else, but can someone find themselves perhaps in contention here with approximately six games left to play in the regular season? You no, know, I think the regular season title is still up, up for grabs. Uh, here's Seton Hall's schedule the rest of the way, and I know we have Kevin Willard coming on today, and uh, he's earning his money. Yeah. He's earning his key. Oh, yeah. uh, they have to go to Providence, Marquette, and Creighton, which, which th- those, are, those are three difficult ones, and then host Butler, St. John's, and someone named Villanova. <laughs> There's just no gimmies there, and you know it's a great opportunity for the Pirates to further strengthen their resume and, and establish themselves as a firm. Do you think they feel like they need to continue to do that after the, the non-conference they had? I Well, certainly not to get in the tournament, but yeah. if they want to be a top three seed, they could play themselves out of the top three. With that schedule, I, I, I could see some losses you know, and maybe multiple losses. That said, if you give me a 6-0, and a 5-1 and down the stretch, I think you have to think about them at the very top line. Wow. Because... Who knows what happens above you, right? Right. Someone could lose. That's also true. Well, the midweek heat check of the net ranking system shows all 10 Big East teams placed in the top 77 out of 353 Division I programs in the country, with still half of the league, five teams now, ranked in the top 24 of the net, five also in the Associated Press and USA Today coaches polls. Also at midweek, the Big East remains as the top conference in the country in league-wide RPI. Here's what's making the Big East headlines. Seton Hall continues, yes they do, to set the league pace, but the Pirates fell victim to a multifaceted Creighton offense Wednesday night. Four different players scored 18 points apiece in the Blue Jays' 87-82 win in Newark. I mean, (laughs) pick your poison. Apparently the Pirates couldn't. Good offense outplayed a normally good defense. In the Seton Hall game against Creighton, Player of the Year candidate Miles Powell was held to just 12 points and 1 of 11 from 3. Ultimately, Quincy McKnight and Sandro Mamakalashvili couldn't pick up enough of the slack as the Pirates fall to 10-2 and in conference play. Pirates still have a two-game lead on the Blue Jays and Villanova. 
Speaking of the Wildcats, having lost three straight going into the Wednesday game with Marquette, they managed to hold off the Golden Eagles even with Marcus Howard scoring his team's last 11 points and almost individually delivering them a win. The final basket Howard scored, by the way, a tray with two seconds left, put him in first place all time in Big East scoring. So Seton Hall, Creighton, Villanova, and, well, what about Marquette? What about Butler? The Bulldogs held off Xavier to win at home Wednesday night. They're right there, three back of the lead, with Marquette at 7-5 and five, with six games to play. So, Kev, anarchy isn't quite reigning over the league yet, but it is kind of beginning to get interesting with three weeks to go in the regular season. Well, there's two, you know, congruent stories. One is, you know, who's going to make the NCAA tournament? The other is who's going to win the conference title? Seton Hall is certainly in the driver's seat, but as we said, they're really going to have to sweat out any chance to win a conference title. Uh, But those five teams, Seton Hall, Creighton, Villanova, Butler, and Marquette, they're in the NCAA tournament. I, I think... Several of them would have to go on huge nosedives. The question is, is can there be a sixth or a seventh team? Uh, Xavier was looking like the team that could do it. They lost this week. They have a big one on the weekend. You know, every single game for the Musketeers uh, down the stretch is big, and I think Providence has fallen off that conversation after a two-game losing streak. Well, if you have your own questions about your team or the others that you follow in this league, we'll send them to us. Hit us up on Twitter with a hashtag, TwitBe, T-W-I-T-B-E. Thanks, as always, to our Westwood One affiliate stations for tuning in. If you're catching us on Sirius XM, we welcome you to an up-close and personal view of this Big East Conference. If you do the podcast thing, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, checking us out on Spotify, all our podcast partners this season. Make sure you leave us a review if you can. And also, you can listen online, BigEast.com and WestwoodOneSports.com are the addresses. This week, we'll hear from a former Big East star that once terrorized opposing teams with his grace and agility, not to mention his scoring ability. And we'll visit with a former league coach who has watched these Big East teams on the floor for television and has found a common thread in several of them. But first, the spotlight shines on a current head coach that has his team meeting preseason expectations and then perhaps exceeding them as we get ready for the madness yet to come. Seton Hall's Kevin Willard joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. As one of the country's leading Catholic universities, Seton Hall has been shaping students in mind, heart, and spirit since 1856. Today, the hall is home to nearly 10,000 students taught by world-class faculty. Our professors shine in the classroom, sharing their expertise with bright young minds who are hungry to learn. And as a member of the Big East, our student-athletes compete in one of the nation's top athletic conferences. Whether on the court or in the classroom, our students learn by doing. This is Seton Hall's moment. Be part of it. Big East Spotlight. Seton Hall exercises the demons and finally wins in Philadelphia. Players might not have cared much about that before this game, but they know now how huge this is. Again, historic season in the making for Seton Hall. Heavy are the expectations for those who have all the talent, and Seton Hall certainly has a good-sized dose of that this season. A marquee player as a candidate for player of the year, a point guard who is tough as nails, a dominating center that protects the rim like few others can manage, and a deep and versatile enough bench to be a matchup problem for just about everyone they face. Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard joins us this week in the Big East. Kevin, despite the tough loss to uh, Creighton this week, what does your team not have at this stage of the season that you think they should have? Um, 
you know, I, I think right now I, I actually like my team pretty much. You know, I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I like the way our bench is playing. I like the way our, you know, our guys starting off the game are doing. You know, I, you know, we've won 12 out of 14 and, you know, had a tough loss against a very good Creighton team last night. Um, you know, I'd like to see us rebound the basketball a little bit better. I think that's the only thing that's kind of hurting us a little bit, hurt us. Uh, the other night, and you know, I think if we if we become a little bit better rebounding team, I think it will help us out tremendously. Kevin, uh, the th- only it's the only quote issue, small eye that I've seen with Seton Hall. You do have some offensive stretches where you're not as efficient as you'd like to be, uh, but you seem to power that through with with your defense and and your toughness and your rebounding. Uh, th- that wasn't the case against Creighton. Was that on you guys, or was that just Creighton have one of those you know typical Creighton nights? No, I mean I, I, I got to give them a lot of credit. You know, we we got we got Caleb Joseph in foul trouble early, and and uh, they went small. And when they went small, um, it really caused us a lot of matchup problems. Uh, and the kid Mahoney is really playing excellent for them. I think it gives them an X factor that I don't think they had last year, or or even earlier in the year. And you know, he, they they put him at the five. And, you know, he's able to pick and pop. They're able to space him and iso it. And it's a really tough matchup for your center. Uh, and, you know, we're, we were up 66-62, uh, and Sandro um, picked up his fourth foul, and we had to put him to the bench. And that really kind of changed the momentum of the game for us. But uh, we still had a good chance to win, but they played excellent last night. Did they do anything differently to Miles Powell that other teams have not tried yet? Actually, no. The funny thing about it is, he, I think he got some of the best looks he's gotten all year. Last night, um, you know, he had four or five wide open uh, looks in the second half that you know he usually knocks down, and you know he just he just had one of those nights where every once in a while, you know, great players have an off night. And what I was really happy with our team was, even though he was struggling, uh, we were able to still score 82 points and still have a chance to win the game. Right. No, no, no question. That was going to be my follow up. Is even on a. On a really, Miles is probably worst shooting night of the year. You do score eighty-two points and are in position to win. Uh, and, then, and then now, now I have to ruin your morning, uh, Kev. I, I look at your schedule the rest of the way: six games, three on the road, three at home. I think four of the six are, are against ranked teams. Is uh, do you look at that as a challenge that'll get you ready for March, or you just want to get to the finish line? No, I mean I think that's you know when I looked at the schedule when, we, when it first came out. Um, there was a couple stretches where I knew it was really going to be, you know, really battle test us, uh, and really the, the last half of, of our season, you know, we have it. We have probably have the hardest schedule of anybody going in. So, I think the biggest thing for us, you know, is you know, it gives us great opportunities to obviously improve our, our seeding in the NCAA tournament, um, and it gives us a chance, you know, to kind of get even more battle tested going into March, which I think is important because obviously we still have at Marquette, at Providence. Um, you know, and at Creighton, three incredibly tough road games. And then our home games, you know, I think St. John's is a, is a tough matchup with everybody. They play so hard. And then, obviously, Nova home and Butler, who I think is as good as anybody. So it's going to be a good test for us, but it gives us good opportunities, too, and I think that's the way we're looking at it. Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard joining us this week in the Big East. Kevin, I want to go back to the, the heavy expectations that we began with here because clearly you guys knew what kind of a team that you had, I think, before the season started. And yet there were some bumps in the road early. About what point in time did the season arrive at when you discovered, hey, this team really can meet up to the expectations that we all had for it uh, before the season started? You know, I, I pretty, pretty early in the season, to be honest with you. You know, I, I really like the way 
um, this team kind of came out focused. You know, we we played Michigan State at home and and really controlled the game most of the game. I had should have won if we if we had played a little better. Um, and then when we you know we lost uh, Sandro to a wrist injury, uh, and then lost Miles to a concussion. You know, we played two tough road games at Iowa State and at Rutgers, back to back without our two our two leading scorers and what this team really showed me was that you know there was other guys that could step up and, and really fill in those places and I think that was the time where I realized that you know uh, if we can get healthy we can get you know kind of stay healthy I think we have a chance to be a pretty good team. Uh, Kevin it's funny you probably have two you know of the leading candidates to be the most improved player in this league in, in Roe Gill and so other people are pushing for Quincy McKnight and it's interesting if you look at Quincy McKnight's history he averaged 17, 18 points before you got him in college, right. uh, and yet he has taken such a good leap this year. Can you just speak to his improvement and obviously how important he is for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, this, I think last year, um, I think it's always tough when transfers sit out and they, and they, you know, they go, they really jump up a big level. And I think, you know, last year's team was was young. Um, you know, Romero Gill hadn't played uh, at all. You know, I had. Sanjo and Miles Kale, you know, had played but really weren't in big roles. They played behind guys. And I think the fact that, you know, he was trying to figure out what we needed more than anything. And I think what you're seeing this year is kind of the maturation of a of a young man who's kind of understanding, you know, when to ch- when to pick and choose the spots. You know, he knows when to get Miles Powell the ball. Uh, but I think he's doing a much better job of understanding, like, hey, you know, I need to be a little bit more aggressive. I need to be, you know, get in the lane. I need to get guys to basketball. And, you know, he's really – I think he's played as good as anybody in the league right now. Let's kind of go for a moment also to uh, your sort of re-including into your lineup, Sandro Mamakalashvili. And, and I, can I just call him Mamu? Is that all right? Absolutely. I oh, call him Sandro. So you call him Sandro? It, it, it's a good trade-off, yeah. Which, whichever works, right? It's a mouthful. Either way. But when you lose somebody like that to an injury and then you have to almost reincorporate them into your lineup, I wonder if you might speak to how difficult that can really be because I think a lot of people don't realize how tough that could be on a coach. You've got to get going one way, then you've got to change direction, then you've got to go back to another way again. Especially at this time of year, um, I think the I think the thing that's helped us with Sandro is the fact that you know um, he was able to run and stay in shape. You know, sometimes when guys, you know, if, if it's a foot injury or an ankle, and it, you know they're not in good game shape, they're not in where they can play minutes. Uh, I think the biggest thing for us was um, Jared Roden has really started playing well, and he started playing well at the power forward spot. Um, but you know we also need him to play at the small forward spot. So. Um, Sanjo's a very smart player. He was able, he's able to pick things up very fast. And the fact that he's been, he was able to stay in pretty good shape was a little bit easier to get him back into the lineup and get everyone used to having him there because he, it, I didn't have to worry about him getting in shape. And, and you know, Jared's done a great job of moving back to the small forward spot. And uh, I just think the fact that, that Sanjo's a very intellectual player has really helped the process because sometimes it can be very difficult. Uh, Kevin, I'm curious. Come Big East tournament time, so look a couple weeks ahead. Who, who? I wouldn't say who do you fear, but who would you handicap uh, as a team to watch if it wasn't the Seton Hall Pirates? I think Creighton is is one of the better teams that we've played against. Um, you know, I think I think top to bottom, the league is as good as it as it's ever been. Um, you know, Marquette had an unbelievable chance last night to win at Villanova. 
Um, but I think Creighton, what, what makes Creighton so difficult is, you know, we held Mitch Ballack to zero points last night, and they still scored 87 on us. Um, they have so many different weapons that can hurt you. Um, you know, and I think Marcus Zagorowski is a, a guy that not a whole lot of people are talking about and probably should be because um, he's a guy that plays 38 minutes a game for them. He had eight assists last night, only three turnovers, had 18 points, kind of got, he gets everybody involved. And I just think they're a team that, you know, when they're really shooting the basketball and they're playing at the level they played last night, they're a hard team to beat. That's Seton Hall's Kevin Willard. Can't say that I disagree with his choice of Creighton either at this stage of the game. Next up, who's hot? Who learns the props? Who gets the credit? Who should you be watching for this weekend? That's next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Every day, the NCAA is working across campuses to keep college athletes safe by committing research and resources to their physical and mental health. Physical and mental health includes, but is not limited to, education, research initiatives and new policies on concussion, promoting best practices around cardiac health, sexual violence prevention and education, mental health resources and training, alcohol and other drug abuse prevention, guidance on nutrition, sleep and performance, creating safety guidelines for all NCAA sports, support of the American Development Model to prevent overuse injuries. And that's just what we could fit within 30 seconds. Visit NCAA.org slash well-being to learn more. Who's hot? 4.8 to play. The inbounds to Howard. Toward midcourt. Howard, middle of the floor. Fires a three. It's good at the buzzer. But Villanova wins it 72 to 71. For Marcus Howard, the sweetness of becoming the Big East all time leading scorer in conference games on that three pointer is met with the bittersweet feeling of losing this one 72 to 71 to the Villanova Wildcats. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara on the weekly honor roll. No big surprise here. Player of the week was Miles Powell of Seton Hall. The senior averaged 26.5 points and five rebounds. Pirates had a couple of road wins before stubbing their toe on Wednesday against Creighton. It seems like a broken record when we're talking about Miles Powell, but he figures out a way to score. He figures out a way to help his team win in sometimes the most timely chances possible. Well, you know, he's a, he's a very unique player. I, I, he's been a little bit streaky in the last, you know, I'd say two weeks a little bit, and obviously hit the skids a little bit in that Creighton game. But Powell is the kind of guy when you need a shot late in the game, you probably don't want the ball in anyone else's hands in the Big East. He's that explosive. Sure. Uh, I, I think getting the consistency down the stretch offensively, and I think getting Mamu back in the mix at a full-time, you know, high-efficiency basis – I think that's the key for Seton Hall going forward. Freshman of the week is Kiki Tandy of Xavier. He averaged uh, 11 points and a couple of wins against DePaul and Providence. And we got a first-hand, up-close look at how Tandy can really be that offense off of the bench that Xavier has sorely lacked. Vinny Johnson? Yeah, little kind of. Mi- little microwave action? Yeah, sure. Uh, that's exactly what I've seen. And, and you know, uh, it's not just a three-point shot, too. He takes the ball to the hole really well. Uh, clearly a building block for the Musketeers uh, in the next three years. On the honor roll this week, Kamar Baldwin of Butler, the familiar name there, had the game winner uh, in the uh, big win over Villanova by three points as well. Damian Jefferson of Creighton, 14.5 points and three and a half rebounds in a one-and-one week before Creighton was able to knock off Seton Hall on Wednesday. Javon Blair from Georgetown, junior guard, 24 points and also had a career-high 30 in a win against DePaul. 
Brendan Bailey from Marquette. First time to find his way onto the honor roll. 16 points and 8 rebounds in a win against Butler. And then Tyreek Jones of Xavier is sort of epitomized the Xavier comeback here at this stage of the season. Muscling his way in 13 points, 18 rebounds in three consecutive games. Is he the Rodman of the Something. Big East? Uh, Tyreek Jones, eight, well, he, 18 three, day, three games in a row. That's amazing. He's not a shot blocker per se, but guys don't want to take the ball to the rim with uh, with the big guy lurking Not back with there. Tyreek Jones around, that's right. All right, home teams now have had a little bit of a struggle lately. We talked about this last week, Kevin, uh, but they managed to win three of four at midweek, so the overall record for home teams is now 34-25 and 25 in the Big East, so the home team getting a little bit of an advantage, but not much. Creighton's win over Seton Hall featured the number one shooting team, by the way, against the number one field goal defensive team. And offense won out on Wednesday. Any thoughts to to add there to that one? Yeah, I was surprised in all honesty. I give Creighton an awful lot of credit to go into uh, Seton Hall and and grab a win. is really impressive. And and the balance that they showed in that game. You know, there's two guys who have come, I wouldn't say out of the blue, but they're certainly playing uh, well at the most important point of the season. One is Damian Jefferson, who, who you mentioned, but also Denzel Mahoney, who I know is one of your favorite players just because of you can tell people it's just his freakish body. He's he's six what six five, got broad shoulders. He's got a seven foot wingspan. The advantage there is he can guard truly four positions. Yeah, anywhere from the two guard to the center. Versatile indeed. Now, as we mentioned in our headlines, Marquette's Marcus Howard managed to do something no other player in the past twenty five years could do in the Big East, and that's outscore former Syracuse star Lawrence Moten. His final basket against Villanova put him over the top as the all-time career Big East scoring leader for conference games played and for three-point field goals made in conference history. That's quite an accomplishment. You know, uh, we had Steve Wojciechowski on the show uh, a week ago, and he was saying that uh, Marcus is somehow underappreciated, and I I cannot agree more. People don't quite—and it's funny— I think Lawrence Moten was probably underappreciated. And for the last 25 years, people didn't realize that he was the all-time leading scorer. When you're a four-year star and can string up those kind of points, it's just an amazing offensive uh, accomplishment. And and hopefully uh, Marcus can lead his team into the NCAA tournament and have an awful lot of success. Well, let's recall then a time when Moten and his Orange ran all over their opponents, setting records along the way as Syracuse once competed at the top of the Big East under Jim Beheim. Moten has some stories to share, I'm certain, and he's going to share some of those with us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. What does it take to change your career, to make a better life for you and your family, to get to the next level in your career, or to go from a job to a career? It takes inspiration. It requires a university with a national reputation and more than 130 years of preparing students to succeed. Marquette University. Be inspired with graduate programs that help you find a rewarding career and a greater purpose. Our courses are on campus and online. Flexible formats are designed for busy people. You'll be inspired by the experience, and in doing so, you'll be an inspiration to others. We know achieving your goals, changing direction, and finding a deeper purpose are hard work. At Marquette, you'll learn from experienced, caring faculty and leave prepared to get to your next level, a graduate who will not only stand apart, but be sought after. Get started at marquette.edu slash grad. Be inspired. Marquette University. Be the difference. Big East Focus. Strickland stripped by Moulton. I don't think he can get there, can he? He does, and he's fouled. What a play by Lawrence. 
Bear lost it to Moten. Moten in. Moten up. Gets it and got fouled. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Once upon a time, the beasts in the Big East came from places like Syracuse, led by names most college basketball fans will certainly recall. Pearl Washington, Derek Coleman, John Wallace, Lawrence Moten, just to name a few. Moten outscored them all, including the stars from the other teams, too, and held the record as the Big East all-time scoring leader for 25 years until just this week when Marcus Howard at Marquette finally surpassed him. Moten joins us this week in the Big East. Lawrence, we thank you for your time. It's great to visit with you again. I wonder, though, how much you've actually seen Marcus Howard play and what you might think of him as a as a player and a scorer. Oh, he's a great player. I've watched him a couple of times. I got a chance to see him last year also. Uh, you know, very, very uh, energetic player, Allen Iverson-like, always in attack mode. I, I love guys who are, who are like that, and I love guys who are born scorers, you know, and uh, – Anybody who can lead the nation in scoring uh, is doing something well, and, and I congratulate him on all of that. Lawrence, I, I'm curious, you know, uh, almost 30 years later, the game has changed. The three-point shot has kind of revolutionized basketball and college basketball. Would this have fit into your game? Would you have scored even more points in, in, in today's game, uh, day and age? Well, there's no doubt and there's no question about it. Instead of the 20, I was averaging, it definitely would have been 30. <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely an easier game, you know, uh, more space. You know, uh, they're trying to lose focus on uh, the big man now where, you know, in my day you had to throw it into the big man first before you even got started. So it's definitely a different time. But a born score could score in any error, and, and poetry definitely could do that. On behalf of the Big East, 30 years ago, let me just say I'm really happy that you didn't score 30 a game. <laughs> but but, but, the, but the, the people in central New York would, would have welcomed, welcomed another 10. Uh, it, it's curious, Lawrence, you've gotten a little notoriety uh, because of what's happened with Marcus Howard in the last couple weeks. And it was funny, a lot of people say, Lawrence Moten led the Big East in scoring. Geez, that's a bit of a surprise, considering the uh, great NBA All-Stars who have come through the league you know that you've been the league scoring king for a long time. How, how has this, you know, period been for you? Oh, it's been a blessing. You know, um, you know, I tell people all the time. You know, it took a lot of uh, dedication and hard work, and you know, I, I truly pushed myself. And I had great teammates who helped me out um, and got me in the right places to make some of the great things happen. You know, but uh, but a lot of it came from the definitely hard work and dedication and. Um, I tell the youth all the time, especially when it comes to basketball, uh, when you push yourself and you learn how to push yourself, uh, everything else will fall into place. And I was a hard critic on myself, so that 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 that, that made it uh, even easier for me to adjust and, and make good things happen. And I was a visionary. You know, I kind of always seen things happening before they happened. I was an anticipator, and 90% of the time I was right. So I'll take 90% over 10% any day. That's for sure. Uh, Lawrence, can you tell the people how you got to Syracuse, uh, A, because I understand, you know, you were a very good football player growing up in Washington, D.C., and then, B, uh, you came in with a good uh, recruiting class at Syracuse, and it only took you a couple of weeks with those pickup games, those high-end pickup games at Manly Fieldhouse, to realize that you were going to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, my, um, my high school teammate, one of the reasons why I came to Syracuse was definitely because of my high school teammate. He was the quarterback 
at our high school. He was the point guard on our basketball team, and he was the pitcher on our baseball team. And he ended up having a great career here at Syracuse also. We were roommates, and he was a star quarterback on the football team. His name was Marvin Graves, you know. and uh, He was, he know, was very guy. good, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Only three-time MVP and three bowls here at Syracuse. And, you know, he just told me a lot of good things. You know, when I came up here and took my visit, uh, one of the great players, Billy Owens, who was my one of my favorite Syracuse players, Billy Owens was my chaperone. It's crazy how things work and how time goes, you know, because now he's the godfather of my kids. His wife and my ex-wife were roommates. So it's funny how things work. Syracuse was definitely uh, – uh, uh, good to me. It was it was needed. You know, I needed to get away from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area where I didn't have to worry about giving family and friends tickets. I came up here and truly got focused in my craft and in the game. And, you know, one of the things I can say, uh, Syracuse has some of the best fans in the world and some of the some of the best people. And, and it was a, just, a, just a good fit for me. And my mother always told me, you know, just don't stay up there on that university. Mm-hmm. Get to know the people in the town. And I was blessed to know a lot of people that are actually from Syracuse and the city. And, and it made things easier for me, and it was easier to, to adjust. And um, it was easy to do good things, you know, when you got good people that are supporting you. Former Syracuse star Lawrence Moten joining us this week in the Big East. Lawrence, I wonder if you might relate your experiences 25, 30 years ago now as you arrived at Syracuse and trying to acclimate from the inner city in Washington, as you talked about, to the job that you have now. Uh, you're a meeting or mentoring specialist at Clary Middle School in Syracuse, New York, which means, of course, I think most people understand you work a lot with younger kids. How did your experiences help you do what you do now? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a blessing. You know, first of all, I got my degree in childhood education at Syracuse, so it was pretty much a no-brainer. I'm good with dealing with uh, the youth, you know, understanding that uh, uh, they need positive motivation and, and people that's going to tell them the right thing because they've been through situations. You know, I've come up from uh, Washington, D.C., you know, very rough area, uh, very rough community. But, you know, we had a strong bond, and, and I had good mentors to teach me, you know, uh, and led me on the right path. You know, of course, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, you know, but I truly had some, some great men and women who, who, who taught me how to be a respectable young man and just try to live like the right way and try to do the right thing. And uh, that's what I'm here, up in here in Syracuse now, mentoring these kids and, you know, just, just, just trying to have them live a positive life, you know, have them understand that they have to respect each other themselves first before they respect anybody else. And, and, and just live the right way. You know, that, that's all I'm about. You know, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy coaching. You know, I train kids, too. So teaching is coaching. Coaching is teaching. It's no different. It's all about mentoring these youths and trying to get them to be the best people that they can be. Lawrence, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about the Big East. I know that Syracuse is no longer in the Big East, but uh, I think all the old Syracuse players, they consider themselves Big East alumni and those memories of uh, the great games at the Dome and obviously the Big East tournaments at Madison Square Garden. I'm sure those are some of your sweetest memories. Absolutely. Great memories. I have nothing but uh, uh, good memories of my four years here at Syracuse. You know, uh, five and two against Georgetown. <laughs> you know, got some great wins on UConn and St. John's and Villanova, 
you know, my four years here were definitely uh, were definitely good. The Big East was was a very strong conference back then. Right now, you know, it is called the Big East, but it's I, I tell people it's the Big East, but it seems like a different league, you know, with Butler and Marquette and Creighton and those teams. You know, much respect to them. I'm not trying to disrespect them in any way, but there's no question about it. You name the guys that that they're the former Big East players and. Most of those guys went on to the NBA and did some great things. So, stronger league for sure, you know. And, and, and uh, I, I, want, I truly want to congratulate uh, Howard on, on, on getting that, you know, breaking my record. You know, 25 years is definitely uh, a blessing, you know. But also understand, I have a friend, uh, Nate Pena, and we always talk. And, and one of the things he, 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 always, he always tells me is, uh, Mo, he might get the record, but I want you to tell everybody this: it's not the real Big East. So he he says that all the time, and, and, and a lot of a lot of people, have, you know, contacted me and and within these last two weeks, and just said, you know, it's not the same anymore. But we still have to give the young fella his his due, you know. Um, but uh, understand that. I guess I can say I'll keep the award from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s and, and how we can have it for this new era. Thanks once again to former Syracuse standout Lawrence Moten for joining us. Next, the national perspective comes from a former coach calling the action from behind a microphone rather than in front of the bench from the sidelines. We'll get his thoughts on Biggie's challengers now. And in March, Steve Lapis joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. At Creighton University, students have more opportunities. With nationally recognized undergraduate, graduate, and professional programs, students engage in research, internships, gain clinical experience, serve others, and much more. At Creighton, students experience a transformative education guided by Jesuit Catholic values that prepares Creighton Blue Jays for lifelong success. Become a Blue Jay today at Creighton.edu. The National Perspective. Robinson Earl, way out on the perimeter. Gives it back to Samuel. Samuel's working against Kane. Starting to back him down left of the lane. Shot clock at nine. Gillespie straight away. Three is a swish. That's a huge shot in this game. Catch by ten. Welcome back to this week in the Big East. Do we have a national title contender in this league this year? It's certainly strong from top to bottom, as the numbers have read all season long. But there is a tough out at the top. Or is there a tough out at the top? And how many Big East teams might challenge along the way? Should they survive some of the battles still ahead? Is it possible, Kevin, for gas tanks to run empty over the next month from these contenders? Well, it definitely is, John. And it's funny, the, the, the theme around the country from California to North Carolina to here in the heart of the Big East is the unpredictability around the country. Uh, you know, we have a undefeated team in San Diego State. We have Dayton, who's really impressive, Gonzaga, who's really impressive. John, it, it, pick the team that is guaranteed to be in the Sweet 16. Forget about the Final Four. You, you can't. It's really it's that open and certainly is here in the Big East. You know, we've seen Seton Hall lose a couple of games now. Right. Uh, we've seen Villanova go on a three-game losing streak. We never see that. These teams are all dangerous, all, I think, dangerous second-weekend NCAA-type you know, type teams. But then again, if they go out early, it's not a shock. It's that type of a college basketball season. 
Well, this week, Kev, we had a chance to visit before a broadcast with former Villanova head coach and current CBS Sports Network analyst Steve Lapis to get his thoughts on the contenders. And we asked him first if there was a common thread among these Big East teams fighting to get to the top. I think one of the common threads is you have teams that are really great defensively that aren't great on offense, and then you have teams that are great offensively that aren't great on defense, and very few teams are really good in both of those areas. And I think, you know, the shooting percentages are way down in the league. Um, but every night's a compelling night. It's, I don't know if it's like the, the biggies I coached in the 90s, but I'll tell you what, it's pretty good. When you have your team that's 1-9 in nine in the league, and if you beat them at their court, it gives you a quad one win, that tells you something about the league. Sure. Coach, we were talking uh, pregame here, and you've, you're, uh, I thought your observations about the three-point shot is really interesting. The numbers nationally are down even by a couple percentage points, and maybe that's, dra- that's dragging everyone's offensive efficiency down. Do, do you see that coast-to-coast? Coast? Absolutely. And, you know, all right, we, got, we have to say the line got moved back a little bit, so you got to think that's got a little bit something to do with it. But attempts are not down. And so you would think with the line going back some, why wouldn't attempts be down a little bit? And they're not really down. So it just goes to show you what the game of basketball really has become. A lot of it, the NBA, you see the same thing. Threes have become the biggest thing to do in college basketball. And even though we have have a line move back and guys aren't shooting the ball as well, we're still taking about as many as we have. What are your thoughts on uh, the officiating thus far? I mean, clearly people love to hate the officials. Coaches love to hate on the officials. How can the coaches, though, simplify things, perhaps, you having been one, of course, or the officials have a common thread and they know what's a foul and what isn't out on the floor? Well, I, I think they've taken a little bit of a step back this year. I think we, ha- we talked about this freedom of movement stuff maybe four or five years ago when it first started. And I think up until this year, I think they had done a really good job. I see the game this year not wasn't called as tightly early on in the year. And I, I now... And I think that's been contributing to the fact that a lot of the games aren't as good. And I, when I, I mean, we don't. I, that doesn't mean we don't have close games. We have close games, but they're just not as well played as I think they've been in the past. I think, if, hey, look, these are really good officials. But I think this year we took a little bit of a step back, not calling a lot of these touch fouls, these arms, and these physical things early in the year. And I think here's where we are because of it. Is one team that uh, you know may, may have the best Big East seed come NCAA tournament time, and speaks exactly to what you're talking about is Seton Hall, excellent defensive team, NBA size up front, but boys sometimes they tr- struggle struggle to score, but defensively, good luck getting 70 points against them. Well, the big kid obviously is a real become a real force in the paint. So when you got a seven foot two shot blocker like him, it makes a big difference. And they also have the X factor, which is even though they're they are not a great shooting team. They got a guy who can get 30 on any given night. And, and, you know, coaches run plays at the end of games. You're in a tight game, close game, you run a play. But a lot of times it comes down to a kid making a play, and there's nobody better. And I know Marcus Howard is really good too at Marquette, but I don't think there's anybody better than Miles Powell at making his own shot when he needs it. And that is the best weapon a coach can have. Forget about running a play, the end of the shot clock. You got a guy like him, you're going to get something good. Visiting with uh, former Villanova coach and CBS Sports analyst Steve Lapis this week in the Big East. You know, you mentioned uh, two of the best players, not only in the conference, but in the country as well. So does this league have two of the best players in the country in it, and does it have a legitimate national title contender in it? I think Seton Hall, we have to say, is a national title contender. You know, uh, Mamu uh, Keshkevili coming back, whatever. I I have trouble with his name. Mamu, we go Mamu. Mamu, Mamu. With him coming back and coming back really and playing well on top of it like he played the other night, 
throw him in with the big kid, and then you got Miles Powell and McKnight. That team, I think, is a true Final Four contender. I think everybody else has shown a little bit of inconsistency. And you know, Villanova has hit a hard uh, stretch here, losing three games in a row. They have no bench. So I think if you look for the team with the least amount of warts, I would say by far it's Seton Hall. Just a little more on Villanova. Obviously, you watch them closely. Um, the youngest team Jay's had in a long time. Uh, everybody's back, so watch out for Villanova next year. Can they be a second weekend team this year? No question about it. I mean, I think the key for Jay right now is he's almost come, been, gotten down to playing only five guys. You know, he played Swider, who I think early on had some really good games. Now he has hardly played. He's not playing much off the bench. They play a, a Slater a little bit off the bench. He's not a shooter. They played like 18 minutes, two guys off the bench the last game. So I think they've got to get back to having somewhat of a bench. A guy like Swider, uh, Slater, Swider is important because he can really shoot the ball. He's capable. As you guys know, he's from up your way. Um, so I think that's the key. But, you know, Sadiq Bey is as good as any player in this league. I mean, he's a pro. There's no doubt about it. Gillespie has been far better than anybody thought. He's been an all-league player. So they have guys. I think Robinson Earl hit a little bit of a wall. They have the talent definitely to go into the second weekend. Time to put you on the spot. How many NCAA teams does the Big East have, number one? And number two, is there a sleeper in the bunch that can get to that second weekend? I think when it's all said and done, there'll be six. I think right now there's probably five pretty much locks almost at this point. I think in the end it's going to be six because you can't, you know, gonna, you beat each other up. That's why I can't see a seven, even though there's obviously nine teams that are still alive to do this. I mean, even if DePaul at one and nine, I mean, if they go win six games in a row, I'm not saying it's going to happen. All of a sudden with their RPI net score, they're in it too. So I think six when it's all said and done, which is obviously 60% of the league, um, and Providence being one of the teams is still, still in the hunt. Uh, last, lastly, I'm curious, when you go around the league that you worked in so much, do you enjoy still coming to these old Eastern haunts, as they say? You know, I, I'd rather be in Madison Square Garden right now, you know, truthfully, but uh, even when I was coaching, I, used to, I was telling Ed before the game that uh, I used to get the schedule, the Big East schedule, and I would, I would look at the St. John's game like I was trying to draw an inside straight. You know, you get... Uh-huh. Yeah, the cards like this, and you're trying to draw inside. That's what I used to do with the St. John schedule, hoping we'd be in Madison Square Garden and not here. So it's a big difference when you got to play in this building. But yeah, I mean, I enjoy seeing the guys going back to these places and being around for sure. Got one more for you as well. Compare the Big East today to the Big East that you were in 20, 25 years ago. It's a great league now for this era of basketball. That era of basketball was, I think, a better era of college basketball. You had more guys around. Now, if a kid's got any kind of a chance, he's gone after his freshman year. Then guys would at least, hey, Kerry Kittles, he could have left after his junior state for his senior year. Today, he'd have been gone. He was the seventh pick in the draft, and he stayed. That is unheard of today for a kid who's going to be in the top ten, to, or a kid in the first round. Now, you take a look. Now, there's the G League. The G League's eating up a lot of guys that would still be in college basketball now, which is a big reason why college basketball is not what it was. Now, is it still fun? Of course. The games are still compelling. Kids are playing it. Fans, alumni still love it. There's no doubt about it. But the game itself, I think that Big East in the 90s was a special thing. Steve Lapis is definitely right about that, Kevin. The Big East in the 90s, yeah, it was special. But you can make the argument the 80s were too. And UConn's reign in the 2000s. What Nova has done since the league reconfigured. I mean, it's been a special 40 years. John, I learned over the years that everyone thinks when they were involved it was the best. Okay? Yeah. Let's take a step back. 
you make a mention of Villanova, two national titles in, in the last three years, well, four overall here. That didn't happen very often in mm-hmm. the old Big East. If nope. you, uh, how do you measure it? No. If you measure yeah. it in national titles, yeah. now now is the glory days. If you measure it in pros, you know, great NBA pros, top of the draft pros. 80s? 80s, uh, maybe the 90s. So it's just we have been blessed with just 